If you have a Bible, if I could encourage you to turn in or turn it on to Galatians chapter 4. If you're using the pew Bible thing there or under the seat in front of you, you want to turn to page 974, that's exactly where we're going to be this morning. You know, as the video we watched at the beginning of the service kind of reminded us, the, the United States, the country we're in, the country we live in, started really with a vision of freedom. And the veterans, our veterans who have served, have really served to protect that freedom, to ensure we continue to have that freedom. Freedom is one of those precious gifts that that comes really at, at great cost. But freedom, again, isn't just about us having sort of a political system that gives us freedom and we can go and do things in all kinds of, without restrictions and enjoy so many things. Freedom is much more deep and more profound than that. And really, in one sense, you could say when we talk about freedom, we're not just talking about, hey, us politically being able to do things or socially being able to do things or economically be able to do things. And we're talking about freedom. Ultimately, we are talking about the desire of God for us as people. I know I told you to turn to Galatians chapter 4, but real quickly, I just want to read Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 because I think it encapsulates some things when it says this, for freedom Christ has set us free. So stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. That verse is, is telling us that really the whole intent of the Lord Jesus coming At Christmas, the whole intent of the Lord Jesus dying on the cross on Good Friday, the whole intent of the Lord Jesus rising again on Easter is very simply this. God wants you to be free. He wants freedom to basically fill your life. He wants it to mark you and shape you. That's an amazing thought. God wants each of us to be free. He doesn't want us to be restricted. He doesn't want us to be in chains and in slavery. He wants us to be free. But here's the sobering thing of that verse. That verse hints at, tells us that even though God desires us to be free, we have this attraction to slavery and we want to go back to it. That's not what God wants for us, but we can go there. As we continue this series through Galatians this morning, and we are going to be in Galatians 4 Paul really wants to walk us through, hey, God sets us free, and this is how God sets us free. But he also is going to want to challenge us to not go back to slavery. God wants to give us freedom. Stay there. Don't go back. That's really what we're going to do, and really how he's going to do it, how he's going to talk about it, is he wants us to think first about who we were And then how God changes us so we become something different that we, instead of being slaves, we're free. I mean, to talk about gospel freedom, Paul's going to say we've got to start by talking about slavery. Now, when you and I hear the word slavery, depending upon maybe what age we are, there might be different movies or TV shows. When I was, I don't know how old I was, maybe seven or eight years old, Roots came out. And it was on late at night, so I only ever saw the commercials. So my view of slavery was commercials. Kunta Kinte, I think, was the name of one of the guys, you know. And you think about slavery, and we live in the American context, so in our head, slavery fits this American context, and, and it hugely was a part of it. But when Paul's talking about slavery, 
I don't think it's best for us to, to think about American slavery because that's not exactly what slavery was like in the first century when Paul's using the analogy. So real quick, before we get into Galatians 4, just want to hit sort of three things and then talk about the purpose of slavery or sort of the big idea of slavery in the first century. So one of the things you need to think of when you think of Galatians and slavery is you need to realize how vital slavery was to the social and economic world of the first century. Now, that's not untrue here. Slavery was a a big part of life in certain parts of our country, but I don't know if you've ever considered the fact, excuse me, one-third of the Roman Empire were slaves. One-third of them across the board. So, we'll pick on these two sections. These two set your slaves. These are your masters, okay? That's basically how it worked. And you'd say, why was it so big? Why was slavery so important? Well, another thing that was a part of slavery that makes it a little bit different than slavery in American history is that, yes, there were some people that were slaves because of force. They, They were taken over. Somebody came in and captured them and made them a slave. But the vast majority of people that were in slavery in the first century were slaves by choice. They voluntarily sold themselves into slavery. Now, some of that was simply because, wow, I've only got Kleenexes in my pocket. I don't have any money, so I can't pay my bills. So the way they declared bankruptcy in those days was you sold yourself into slavery. Some cases, you just sold yourself into slavery because you didn't want to have the responsibility of looking after yourself. Somebody else would then. I mean, that's a great deal, right? Somebody else has to look after you, take care of you, all those things. So you'd sell yourself into slavery. Third thing about slavery that maybe is different, certainly from our context, is that slavery in the first century had nothing to do whatsoever with racial or ethnic things. It had nothing to do with that. Slaves came from all races and all ethnic groups. And what is odd to me is that slavery also came from basically pick a profession. You know, we think of the profession, sometimes we think of, you know, lawyers and doctors and accountants and engineers, people that, you know, white-collar jobs. A lot of people in the first century that did those jobs were slaves. You literally, a lot of teachers were slaves. You would find doctors that were slaves, That was just a part of it, okay? So that's a little different, but when Paul says slavery, a lot of people knew about that because that was a huge part of life. No matter where they were, slavery was a part of it. Now, there's sort of a a big idea behind slavery, though, that I want us to make sure we understand when we go to these verses, kind of a two-fold thing, and you see them on the screen. One is, you must do what you're told, okay? If you're a slave, you've got to do what you're told. And the other one was, you can't get away. Now, To us, who have lived in a country that's all about freedom, we're like, well, I'm getting away. I've got to get away. Most of them would look at that last one, you can't get away, and they'd say, well, that's no big deal. I don't want to get away. I want to stay exactly where I am. I like this life. Now, that's odd to us, but that was their life, okay? So with that context in mind, I want us to jump now into Galatians chapter 4. Okay, Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 read this way. I mean that the heir, 
as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Now, in a way that maybe is unexpected to us, Paul makes this connection between children and slaves. He's saying in verse 1 that children basically are slaves. Some parents right now are saying, I'm going to totally change how I parent from now on. My kid is my slave. Well, that's not exactly what it's saying, but what it's saying functionally, he's really sort of saying functionally, a child's a slave. You say, well, how does that work out? How is that possible? Well, verse 2 is kind of explaining the reason why is if slaves are bound and you're stuck, then basically a father could decree his son or his daughter would be under his authority. There'd be guardians over the child until a certain time. In some ways, what Paul's describing really is a functional Jewish home at that point. I don't know if you've ever been to a bat mitzvah or a bar mitzvah. A bat mitzvah is a, a, a service done usually in a synagogue for a young woman as she's going from 12 to 13 or a young man, the bar mitzvah from 12 or 13. They're going from being a child to being a part of the adult community. Okay, that's kind of the picture. Paul's saying that's what's going on here. Now, Paul doesn't just want to tell us, hey, let me tell you a little tidbit about Jewish family life in the first century. The reason he brings this up is because he wants to point to a much more significant spiritual reality that this is a picture of. So verse 3, kind of playing off of the word picture, verses 1 and 2 continues, and he says this, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Okay, in verse 3, when he's saying in the same way, we were slaves, he's kind of saying, hey, He's talking about people, and he's saying, I want people to look back in time. So he's talking about people who ultimately are going to come to the point where they trust the Lord Jesus as their Savior. But he's wanting to look back and say, before that happened, before that was true, you were a slave. You were in bondage to these elementary principles of the world. You were tied up in those things. Okay, for me, what he's talking about is my life before October the 18th, 1981. See, that was the night that I trusted Christ. But he's talking about me before that. He's talking about you before that. If you haven't trusted Christ, he's literally saying this describes you literally today. That's you. You're enslaved. Now, what does he mean you're enslaved? What are these elementary principles of the world? What are those? This is one of those times where it would be really nice if Paul would not use words that he uses like three times and in the rest of the literature of the early first century are only used like five, six, seven times. It's like, Paul, could you give us a little more? No. He just kind of says it and moves on, which leaves us to what's he talking about? Well, the scholars, because it's used so little, have a lot of debate here, but to save time, let me boil it down. Most likely in this verse, what he's talking about, given what he's talked about in verses 1 and 2 and what he's going to talk about in verses 4 and 5, he's probably saying we're enslaved to the law. We looked at this last week at the end of of Galatians 3 that we were imprisoned. We had a guardian over us. That's how the law is referred to. He's sort of saying, saying the same thing. He's saying we have something over us. Bottom line, what Paul's wanting to say in verses 1, 2, and 3 is he's trying to tell us this is who you were 
Okay, before a person trusts Christ, if you have not trusted the Lord Jesus, this is who you were. You were a slave. You were in bondage. You were not free. You're stuck there. Okay, that's who he's saying. Without Christ, that's who you are. Now, with that in mind, I just want you to think back in your heads for a second, back to the words we read from Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, okay? Because we want to make it clear again, God doesn't want anybody to be a slave. God wants us to be free. God wants us to be the people He created us to be. And another way to say God wants us to be the people He created us to be is God wants us to be like the Lord Jesus in our character, and in our conduct, and in our convictions. Now, up on the screen, you're seeing a card. Well, it was a card. Now it's on the screen, so it's a slide, I guess. But if you were here on September 10th, we basically said as a church, that's what we need to pray for this year, that we know God, that we become more like Jesus. Why? Why do we need to become more like Jesus? Because He wants to set us free. God's desire, God's prayer for us, God's desire is that we would be like Jesus so that we would know and experience the freedom he gives us because God doesn't want us to be in bondage. Not only that, but it says, hey, we're to carry out the mission of Jesus. Part of the mission of Jesus is God is calling us, inviting us to encourage other people to follow Jesus. Say, why would I want to encourage other people to follow Jesus? Because without Jesus, we're slaves. With Jesus, we're totally different. We get a different identity. We're not slaves. There's something more God has, something more God desires, which kind of raises the question, if God wants us to not be slaves, he wants us to be free, how do we become free? Okay, how do we become free? That's where verses four and five are gonna take us. I mean, being in bondage is not a good thing. Okay, first century, if you were a slave, you were trapped there. You couldn't do anything to get out of it. If you were going to get out of slavery, somebody from the outside had to step in and do something to release you, to get you out of that. Okay, verses 4 and 5 kind of paint that picture, how that happens. Okay, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Okay, the fullness of time at the beginning of verse four most likely is God had set a date. He said, at this point, I'm gonna send my son. And we reach that point, and so the son comes. Sent by God, but sent in kind of a unique way to what you'd expect of God showing up. He came as a baby, but just like us, we were all born as babies. We came from a woman, and Jesus was under the law. Now, a huge thing for us to understand is it wasn't like one day God and Jesus were in heaven going, hey, Jesus, do you think it would be kind of cool if you just went down to earth and just like figured out what that was like? No. Sometimes you and I make decisions like, hey, let's we'll try this thing. We have no idea why we're doing it. We just want to try it. No, Jesus came with great intention. Jesus came, according to verse 5, with an incredible purpose, and the purpose was this way, to redeem us. You see, God knew we were slaves, 
And God desires us not to be slaves, but to be free. So God steps in from the outside, so to speak. Literally steps into life. Took on human flesh. Stepped into it to redeem us. To set us free. To literally change our identity so that we would go from being slaves. Literally slaves. In bondage, with chains, all those images. That we'd be free that we would receive from him this incredible freedom, this incredible life. We would no longer be trapped. Please make sure we don't miss this point. We were slaves. But because of Jesus, because of the gospel, if we turn from our sin to God, if we repent and we trust the Lord Jesus as our Savior, we get a new identity. We're no longer slaves. We are full heirs of the almighty God. Full heirs of God. Freedom. God sets us free by literally giving us a new identity. Now Paul wants to make sure that we really see who we are. Not just to kind of grasp it, but so that we really know and experience that new identity. Okay? He knows, so we know who we are. Verses six and seven kind of paint the picture of what does that look like? Verse six and seven, and because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Okay, zoom in just for a second on verse seven. Jesus wants to make it really clear that when we trust the Lord Jesus, we get a very different identity. When he calls us a son there, that's not a saying you're a male descendant. By saying son, he's saying you are a full heir of God. See, God wants us to know. God doesn't want any doubt in our minds that we belong to God. He wants to make that so clear. And he says, you are my heir. I want you to know that you belong to me. You're You literally get a seat at my table. But God doesn't just want us to grasp the fact, okay, I was a slave, now I'm a son, yeah, whatever, let's move on. You know, ticked off the box, I got a new identity, great. You know, 13 years ago, I could tick a box that I went from being a Canadian citizen to an American citizen. Okay, great, yeah, done that. Okay, let's move on. That's not really what he wants us to get out of this. Because God has something more to do. Look at verse 6. God wants us to experience this. So in verse 6, it says, God the Father sends the Spirit of his Son into our lives, into our hearts. Okay, what's all of that mean? Well, it means you and I literally are connected to the Trinity. The entire Godhead we're connected to. And that should be huge. But God says, I've got even more than that because I'm sending my spirit, the spirit of my son, into your life. Why? To cry out some words. To cry out, Abba, Father. In essence, he's saying, I'm going to put my spirit in your life. So coming out of your life is you calling out the words, Daddy, See, God gives us the Holy Spirit so that we will know, that we're moved to know, who do I belong to? I don't belong to the master when I was a slave. I belong to the Almighty God. He's my Father. 
See, God wants us to experience life with him, but with him as the ultimate caring father. I think at this point, all of us should be amazed. We should be kind of like, look at what God wants for us. Look at what God gives us. God is saying, hey, I want you to experience life with me as your dad. And God is not a dad who's mean or abusive or ignores us. He's not absent, but he is the God who loves us enough to bend down and wipe our tears when we're a little guy or a little girl. God is the kind of father who loves us enough that he is going to discipline us if we start to go astray because he doesn't want us to lead, keep going there and head to disaster. He's going to call us back. God is the the dad who loves us enough that he's going to affirm us and encourage us. He's going to comfort us. God is the dad who loves us enough that he gives us his time and his attention and his resources, all of those. That's the kind of God he is, and that's what he wants for us. Who are you if you trust Christ? You are the full heir of the Almighty God who is the best Father. You know, as a church, we have said we want four things to describe everyone who's a part of Central. One of those things we say is we want to be people who love God. Well, why would you want to love God? Because of the kind of Father that he is. Another one of those four things we say is we want to encourage other people to follow Jesus. Well, why would you want to encourage anyone else to follow Jesus? Because of the kind of father God is. Because when you trust Jesus, when you follow Jesus, you discover that you have the amazing father. That's what God desires for all of us. I'll be honest, at this point, I wish the message ended right here. This is where Galatians ended. We could just be done, go home. That's great. We'd all be amazed. But when you go from verse 7 to verse 8, we're going to shift gears. And to understand the gear shift, we need to remind ourselves, hey, Paul wrote Galatians out of concern. Just like we said, Martin Luther put up those 95 theses because he was very concerned for the people in the church he was serving. He was very concerned for those people. And so he wrote out of concern. Paul did the exact same thing. Paul looked at the churches in Galatia that he had started and he looked at those people that he loved and he cared for and he saw things happening that weren't right. And so out of love and concern, he said, I'm going to write to them. So to express his concern, he's getting work. We're in a chunk right now from verse 8 down through verse 20. We're not going to go all the way to verse 20 today, but we're in a chunk where Paul's basically, he's just pouring out his emotion and his concern, and he does it in part by repeating himself at first. So verse 8's going to seem like repetition of what he's already said because it is repetition of what he already said, okay? Formally, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. Okay, Paul's saying, hey, I need to remind you of who you were before you knew God. 
Who, who were you? And he said, well, you were people who were enslaved by false gods. You were enslaved by idols. For a variety of reasons, the Galatians, and it's probably true of a lot of us, instead of us worshiping God, instead of us loving God, we made things other than God the ultimate thing in our life, and we went there. The problem is when you go there, you're in slavery. You're in bondage. He said, that's who we were. But notice how the verse begins formally. That's a past thing. So more review. He kind of wants to say, what about now? Well, verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God. Again, repetition. Paul wants to make it so sure that we know who we are when we trust Jesus. That we were slaves, but not now. We're something else. We know God. That's a huge thing. I mean, the word know has got this idea of relationship. We're connected to God. We know Him. But not only do we know Him, he says, but rather that you're known by God. So why does he say that? Well, you remember when we said one of the things that's true about slavery is that you can't get out of it. You're trapped. The idea of saying we're known by God is to remind us that God reached out to us. That God went to us in our slavery to get us out. That God redeems us. God does something for us. In some ways, if you want to paraphrase known by God, what you need to hear is you need to hear the voice of God saying, this one, this one that's in bondage belongs to me. This one's mine. So God is declaring to all the spiritual beings ever there are, saying, no, that one's not Satan's. That one's mine. He belongs to me. She belongs to me. Now, I wish this was not true. But too many of us too many of us don't really feel very valued. We feel insignificant, maybe for a lot of different reasons. For some folks, maybe for you, it's because of your dad. Maybe your dad wasn't the man he should have been. And your relationship with him kind of left you feeling like you're a waste or you're a failure, that you're not a valuable person made in the image of God. You're kind of left empty. Maybe for others, maybe it's because of school. It could be because of academics. It could be because of athletics. It could be because of arts. It could be all of them combined. You just never quite got to where you should have been. Have you ever been balled out by a principal because academically you didn't do well enough? Afterwards, I can tell you what it's like to be a seventh grader and have that experience. You can feel pretty and could be translated a lot of other words. Maybe for you it's because of work. You were treated poorly at work. Maybe it's some other family relationships or other things and you're just left going, 
I don't think I'm that important. I don't really think I matter to anybody. And the truth is, I don't feel like I'm that valuable. I just feel. If that's true of you, and that's probably true about a whole lot more people in this room than any of us really want to acknowledge, but you probably are there. You probably have some pretty well-developed protective coverage, some protective mechanisms to deflate that and deflect that. Can I ask you right now, in the depth of your soul, to just put those protective mechanisms and even the hurt aside just for a second and allow the voice of God to get into the depth of your soul and for you to hear Him say, this one is mine. Or even more particularly, for you to hear Him say, whispering in your ear, you are mine. You matter to me. Again, I would love to end the message right here. But Paul doesn't end here. Though God says, you're mine, and you're free, and you have all this, verse 9 goes on and says some things that I wish weren't true, but unfortunately probably are. Verse 9 continues. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? God says, you're my heir. I make you my heir. You're valuable to me. You are valuable to the Lord God Almighty. And yet, what do you and I do? We want to go back and submit ourselves and worship weak and worthless elementary principles. What exactly does he mean by those? Well, look at verse 10. For you observe days and months and seasons and years. Okay, real quick, I want you to think about three verses. Verse 8 says that the people worshiped false gods. Then verse 9, elementary principles, worthless and weak elementary principles. And then in verse 11, he seems, or verse 10, he seems to be describing religious behavior of, of a Jewish person. Now, verse 8 sounds like something a pagan does. Verse 10 sounds like something a religious person does. And you say, well, those are different. Well, I'd love to tell you those are different, but the way verse 9 connects the two of them together, it's basically saying, if you do something irreligious or something religious that takes you away from God, those are false gospels. You can do it in different ways. You can do it in a way that's just pagan. You know, you could worship sex. You could worship money. We say, oh, that's terrible. But I'm going to go celebrate all these other things. And God says, no. Anything you do that takes you away from God and His freedom is a false gospel. These weak elementary principles of the world, what are they? They are things that distort the gospel that take us away from God. Two big questions each of us, I think, needs to ask and answer. How can you turn to a false gospel? I mean, how can we do that? 
Or the second one, why would you turn from God and his freedom gospel to a false gospel? Why would we do that? Why? Now, Paul isn't going to answer these questions yet. He's, he's asking them, and I think we need to ask. You say, why do we need to ask these questions? These aren't fun. Why do we need to ask them? Well, I think we need to ask them because we need to seriously consider, hey, God's offering us freedom. Why would you and I make a choice to go to something that basically leads us to misery? Look at verse 11. I'm afraid, Paul says, that I, have may, that I may have labored over you in vain. Okay. Paul is speaking words of soul misery. I mean, if you're going to turn from God's freedom to slavery, you're just saying, I want misery. Sign me up for it. Give me a double dose. That's what he's saying we're doing. And Paul's looking at them and he's going, folks, this is killing me. This is crushing me. I care about you. I don't want you to embrace misery. So why would you and I turn from God's freedom to slavery? And I've already said it. <laughs> Paul's not exactly in this chunk of Galatians being Mr. Happy Pants. And I feel in fairness to you, I should at least let you know next week is going to be more of the same. Paul's very concerned for the churches he loves. And as we go farther in Galatians, he is going to tell us a little bit more about how not to go to free, uh, how not to go back to slavery, how to stay in the life of freedom. He's going to get there. But right now, just to finish today, very quickly, sort of three things, sort of you could say maybe three ways. How do we apply these things? Paul said some pretty harsh, hard things. How do we apply this? How do I make sure, what can I be doing, what is God calling me to do so that I stay in the freedom God gives and I don't go back to slavery? Insight number one, application number one, whatever term you want to use, is remember your identity. Now, when we say remember your identity, I think we really are talking about two things that are tied into that. One is we need to remember who we were without Christ. Okay, we sang Amazing Grace, and what are some of the best-known words of Amazing Grace? I once was lost. I'm blind. We need to know who we were. At the same time, we need to know who we are. Okay, so remembering your identity so you stay in freedom is to go, this is who I was. I was a slave. But I'm free in Christ. That's where freedom is. I need to remember that. John Newton, the man that wrote Amazing Grace knew about slavery very much from a first-hand experience, okay? During his lifetime, he was both a slave trader and for a period of somewhere roughly a year in length, he literally was a slave. So he knew it like really pretty well. He knew slavery firsthand. Later on, he became a follower of the Lord Jesus and after that, he became a pastor, and one of the things he had up in his study was the words of Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 15. Why? Because he wanted to remember his identity. Okay, those words read very simply. What? You shall remember that you were a slave. He remembered who he was in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God redeemed you. 
you remember who you were and who you are in Christ. Insight number two, it will be much quicker. When Repent when you go backward. Okay, it seems odd to me to say, hey, if you have freedom, you're going to go back to slavery. Who would do that? Us, the Galatians. So when we do that, when we take a step back, how, what should we do? We need to repent of our sin and say, God, help me. God, forgive me of this and help me not go there. We don't play games with it. We submit ourselves in repentance to God and say, God, help. Third way we apply these verses, I think, is this. We need to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we need to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. Go back with me real quick to chapter 4, verse 6 of Galatians. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You know, for a lot of reasons, we may not always feel like we belong to God. Even when we've trusted Christ, we may not feel we're there. We may not find ourselves able to say to God, He's my daddy, or God, I love you. We may just not be able to get there. That's hard for all kinds of reasons. But if we listen to the voice coming out from inside us, if we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and we're willing to start taking at least a little step in the direction that voice is pointing, if we follow that voice, we start to move toward the freedom that God has for us. Folks, I don't know what's going to happen in your life this week. I do think I know that there's going to be things that are going to sound like a voice of freedom but are really the voice of slavery. You and I need to hear and follow the voice of the Holy Spirit so that we know and experience the freedom God gives us in Christ. God desires you to be free. Let us live in the freedom Christ gives. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful to you for your word and the fact that even though we struggle sometimes, you still call us to freedom and you make it possible for us to live freely. Lord, I stand here not as anyone who feels impressive, but I do recognize that what I was is not who I am in Christ. And I pray today we would realize the freedom that you offer us. If we haven't trusted you, Lord Jesus, I pray today we would, that we could know freedom, that we could live in the freedom that you give us. Lord, we live in a country that makes much of freedom. That's an incredible gift, and we thank you for that. But I pray what we would truly hunger for, what we would long for, and what we would experience would be the freedom that your son died to give us. Please don't let us miss that. Let us embrace it. Let us run to it. And let us stay free. May we truly be able to say, my chains are gone. I have been set free. 
and may we add to it, and there's no going back. Please move us to freedom today. In the precious and powerful name of the Lord Jesus, we pray.